Hey, Sheree. Hey, Anne. How's it going? It's going good. I'm in Grenada. What? I think it's unseated St. Lucia as my favorite country in the Caribbean. Don't tell St. Lucia I said that, even though I guess I just kind of did. Um, <laughs> I've had a really most excellent day today. Started my day with a scuba dive. Wow. For listeners that don't know, I'm a certified scuba diver. It's my jam. Had my own very real moment about 80 feet under the ocean. Ate some of the best food I've ever had. And like guest DJed for two songs on the local radio station. So it's a good day. This is an amazing day. Um, Okay, my day was like totally normal compared to yours. So I'm not even going to talk about it. But what I am going to talk about is our incredible guest that we have on the show today. I mean, we say this every time, like we're so excited because this guest is special. And that's because every single guest that we bring on is so special. This person is also happens to be my co-founder. And we created Trash together. And the reason that she is so special, Dr. Genevieve Patterson, uh, Jean-Pierre Patterson, is that she happens to be working on a thing that is kind of exploding right now. And that thing is artificial intelligence. So a little bit of background on Jean-Pierre. She has three degrees, Bachelor of Science from the University of Arizona. She studied electrical engineering at the University of Tokyo, where she got her master's, and she got her PhD in computer vision at Brown. And I met her shortly after that, when she was working at Microsoft New England through a uh, a mutual friend of both of ours. And a uh, big shout out to Nancy. Nancy, if you're listening, uh, thank you again for introducing me to Jean-Viev, because... Uh, the rest is history. I got my ass on a train to Boston Go Meter uh, as quickly as I could. Um, I was living in New York at the time. And I remember thinking, I have to figure out how to hire this woman immediately. And after building Trash together and we got acquired by Visco, we worked there together. Um, and since then, after we both left Visco, jean career has taken a very different turn. Instead of trying to figure out how to edit video with computer vision and thinking about computational photography and light and you know, what makes a great composition and how do you teach a computer how to do it? She's applying these concepts to nature and trying to discover fish in the ocean with the Monterey Bay Research Institute. And so... With all of that said, let's bring on Jean Viep and hear what she has to say about her journey with artificial intelligence and so much more. Jean Viep, please tell us about a time when shit got real for you. So I've been uh, writing a book. I'm trying to write a novel and it's been it's like wow. slow. It's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Um, and, and it's really inspiring and empowering in in ways I didn't expect. And it's hard in ways that I just didn't understand before I got into it. I'm almost to the end. And that's what really like surprised me this week is that I've been working on it for like eight months. No, six, six months, seven months. So long. I'm already forgetting. It's been, it's been a this year project though. And I realized that I can finish it in two weeks. Like if I focus, I mean, that's always the answer, right? If you focus, but if I keep doing exactly what I'm doing, I'll probably finish like this month. And if I, if I really focus, I'll finish it in two weeks. And it so surprised me because I almost always know exactly what I'm doing and everything is a to-do list. And it's really obvious like how long things take or exactly how big the project is. And this is this is one of the first times that I, I can remember like surprising myself that I got 
to the end of something. And maybe I'm, I don't know, counting my chickens, but I'm, I'm pretty close. And all of a sudden, after thinking about it for, you know, a year and really working on it for eight or nine months, that it seems like this is a real thing. I'm, I'm really going to finish like a draft of a novel. Like it's, that's, that's actually going to happen. Yeah. And it really felt like almost for the first time that I was doing something to impress myself or to satisfy myself instead of just doing, not just to impress other people, but doing things like to accomplish a thing that was on a, you know, life plan or do something because it was going to be a big achievement, but like everybody else thought it was a big achievement. This was something that like nobody cares, nobody knows about. And yeah, I don't know. It was a real positive, surprising moment for myself. I think that it was interesting. I'm listening to you. Like I finished writing a book and I surprised myself that I get to the end. And the whole time I'm like, but wait, like I'm thinking of all the things you've done. And I'm like, the fact that you, jean still on this day, still feel surprised by accomplishing something. And I think what's even louder is that the thing about it was less that like I can get to the end, but like I can get to the end of something that's only for me, at least while no one knows that you're writing the book. And I just think that is just incredible. Yeah. I stuck with it and I, I like surprised myself of sticking with it. And that I think that part of it comes out of this desire to do something that's for myself that, that other people, other women really that I've, I've been writing with mostly are like very encouraging and, and really to keep that feeling of like, just everybody wins. Everybody can have a great idea. All the ideas are great. All the ideas can be beautiful and interesting. And, you know, you don't have to put this in front of some kind of review committee or some interview committee or some competitive bros at the CBPR mixer, like that's not who's going to judge the thing that you're working on and that you love. And so, you don't have to like so, go um, like put it in, in and defend a thesis on the book. <laughs> like there's a competitive bro animation that's playing in my head. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. They're very, they're very competitive. And I, I have, I have this hope that through doing things, for myself, for like lack of a better description, for doing things that I'm, I'm really finding exciting that that might help me find my way back to the parts of machine learning that I, I found really compelling when I started this career. But right now it was like overwhelming. So um, I decided to write a ripped from the headlines um, thriller book. Wait, so I have to say this entire time, I thought this book was like a here's the history of my journey with machine learning and computer vision. Like I literally just assumed this whole conversation that the book was like a nonfiction or like a narrative nonfiction moment. What I did not expect was the cryptocurrency thriller. Like I did not expect this and I love it. I'm even more excited about it because it's a fiction book. Cause I think that is such a huge leap writing. Yes. Already a leap. Writing a fiction book as a scientist is next level badassery. And I, I love that. It's funny. I was actually going to ask about that because I thought I heard you slide in the word novel there at the very beginning of this conversation. And I was like, did I hear that right? Did I hear that my science co-founder is writing a novel? Because, wow, exploring other superpowers was like the headline that was going across my brain. Jean-Viev is exploring other superpowers. <laughs> It's amazing. 
Listening to you talk about this, Jean-Viev, reminds me so much of you talking about something else that I think our audience would also be very interested in learning about the other side of your life. I'm curious how different this process has felt for you compared to your day job of writing artificial intelligence. Yeah, the, um, AI is, in a sense, it's a wonderful thing that it works now. It's an incredible achievement that it went from being something that didn't work 20 years ago, that was a crazy idea, to now it's something that is, in an academic sense, a solved problem for many use cases. And the problem with that, it turns from being a creative act. I mean, I think that that is under-discussed um, and under-supported in, in a lot of contexts that scientists as a creative person and, and the computer scientist as a creative person and that AI, because it works, it's like a curse of being good enough that now that it works so well that everything you do has to be a promise of a certain certain performance, a certain reliability, a certain a certain amount of money that your product is going to make, a certain amount of money that you're company is going to raise like there's so many promises and that it's competitive at the same time and that just squeezes out any creative thought and that is the downside I think to AI at the moment that you would think oh it's a renaissance it's an AI renaissance now you're going to think of all these things and there's these wonderful APIs and are you going to come up with amazing things to learn but the other side I think to that conversation the subtext to that conversation is are you going to make a 20 million dollar company in five minutes you know using some Python API and why haven't you done that already and um, are you you know raising your first round on Twitter or X or whatever like did you do that last week that it's it's accelerated everything. And why? Why is AI so good? In the last 12 years, maybe 10 years, um, is really when it, it kind of like hit that inflection point in the curve from being improving to like really going to the moon and, and doing so much better. And it was because the math changed the way that it was improving instead of making like individual machines that were better, individual formulas that were better. It set a goal and then it used calculus to calculate the distance between you and your goal. Um, so I like usually when I'm, I'm teaching this to somebody, you know, you say, imagine that you're climbing a mountain and you don't have a map and you're trying to make it to the top of the mountain and you get to take like 10 steps and then you get to look at where the top of the mountain is and change the way that you're walking. And so you're always like looking for that top of the mountain. But the problem is then there's only one top of the mountain. There's only one place to get to and everybody's trying to get there at the same time. And that's amazing for making translation models and image detection. But I also think that it changes the mindset of everyone who's working on these problems to also do it that way, that everything in your life needs to have a loss function. Everything in your life needs to have a reinforcement reward. And so you set up everything to work that way and it squeezes out any of the random walk, any of the serendipity that I think is also you know, important to exploring a space, especially a space where you don't know exactly what it is that you're looking for, that all of these problems assume that you know what the solution is. If you're starting on something and, and like with the things that, that Hannah and I worked on, like creative products, products for creative people, um, this project that I'm working on now, the, the book project, I don't even know what the solution is. And I want to find the solution through working on things. And that's not really how the AI paradigm is set up right now. And that I think similarly that that means that all AI companies are also not set up that way, which makes them less exciting as a prospect for me to want to work there. That's really loud to me. You said so many things in there. And I think thinking about the seat I occupy now, 
like being a creative very much to the core, having built a tech company with creatives at its core and now being in venture capital at this really big capitalization inflection point. It felt like there's so many thoughts I have. So I'm like, if they might be like a little bit scrambled, but I think the first thing that came to me, it was like a rocket, was you talking about productization and monetization and how that's like, boom, this is what we're talking about in AI and how in many ways it is like the polar opposite of how we got to this place where AI and all the different models and a lot of this like LLMs focus, but like we got to this place through a curiosity process, right? Like, so we got to this big moment because creators in this sense, like scientists as creators, which I'm a firm believe in is always the case. But I think people were allowed to experiment and and kind of walk around with this thing. And that is what propelled it from where it was a decade ago to this like kind of thing that's working to, to your point now, where it's like this thing that's like definitely working really, really well. And in some ways, like faster and better than we thought. And so it reminds me of like what happens when you don't allow your ideas to bake. Like when I think about the next decade of my life, the big thing I want to do is allow my ideas to bake. I am a person that like thinks of the thing and I want to put it out. And so when I'm thinking of like the state of AI right now, we got to the point where it was like, ooh, 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 we can use it. We can productize it. We can monetize. You can build, you can build, you can have it. You can, you know, now we got ChatGPT Enterprise. We can do, we can do. And so everyone's at what feels like the lowest end of the totem pole trying to build with that. And because there's so much money being dumped into it, there isn't a lot of space or incentives to actually like get to the higher points of what's possible. What can this thing do beyond get your email to you faster? Get your, like, it just feels like we're at the, the most surface level of creation with AI right now. And because of the way capital is now driving what's created and to your point, outcomes and revenue and future IPOs in five years and 10 years and venture capital timelines, like that is now what's driving it versus what's truly possible with probably the greatest piece of technological innovation that we've had like since the internet. And I think that's actually like hella alarming because something you said earlier when you were talking about the book, which really resonated with me is like who you are as a contributing member of society mattering to you and how that drove a lot of your work with computer vision and just everything you've been doing. And so I think the thing you're speaking of now is something that I think like we have to like kind of ring an alarm on. It's not just inequity. It's also like, are we putting up, are we putting up a wall too soon? Are we creating a house? Are we building walls around what people will use this technology for and what's possible with AI? Because we are currently building a fence for these products that seem like so obviously solvable right now. Mm. And if we are doing that, who do we need to engage to make sure that there's still a window and a door and a side alley and an underground tunnel, and that those things are also given the environment to use this technology for creation's sake, and that people are actually given the ability to do that without being funneled into the most obvious 
minimum viable product we can build with this technology right now. And that just was so loud to me as a person on the finance side watching this, feeling like, quite frankly, like venture capitalists are not the most creative on what we should be doing with AI. And I don't think they should be deciding it. And this is my first time (laughs) really speaking to someone on the science side and like really hearing how you're experiencing this as like an individual person, but also like how you're thinking about it. And so I'm curious as you're in this moment where you're like, I'm stepping back and I'm going to do this other thing for myself. But obviously you have a crazy amount of history with this technology. Like how are you thinking about what it could look like to make sure there is this open space for pure play and creativity and experimentation when the lion's share of conversation is like product, money, revenue now. Commoditization. Yep. Yeah. And that I'm sure that everyone's heard this so many times that um, everyone is being priced out of doing any research in AI. Um, the only way to, to make something interesting is to have millions of dollars in, in TPUs and GPUs and you have to have server farm and you have to have, you know, large networks, message passing, updatable model that took, you know, millions of man hours on the world's largest systems to train that that's how can you be creative? How can you be spontaneous when that happens? And I don't want to take things away from, you know, the large accomplishments of other people in the field, but LLMs happen because someone who spoke French looked at the translation engines that existed in 2014 and said, it's weird that they translate this sentence in one order and this other sentence in a different order. And if I put the words in a slightly different order in French, it completely changes the English translation. And that that's like cultural and personal interest level based. And that's how that's how people came up with the models that now drive, you know, our big our big models. And, and that was such a personal connection. The people who thought of that, right, had such a personal level connection with these things. But it is increasingly impossible to have personal insight drive research in any way in AI. And, and if you ever mention something like that, if you ever think that you're going to have some, some special insight that you're going to go and, you know, I'd love to bring it back to scuba diving, actually. So the, the project that I work on now is with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. And we're doing, you know, my, my other passion project in AI um, is uh, discovering animals, new animals. Can we discover undiscovered deep sea animals using uh, AI techniques? And that I want a scuba diver. I want people who have like alien experiences in the world to bring new information to AI. I want new, like the way that, that a lot of AI now operates to me is assuming that we've seen everything that exists in the universe, everything that humans have ever experienced, they've ever thought, they've ever felt, they ever could feel, every person that we've ever seen, we know exactly what they look like, that it's all been seen. That's the principal assumption of every AI model currently is that you have seen it all. And that's true a lot of the time. I mean, a lot of the things that we do in our daily life are based on the idea that you've seen this before. And sure, that is mm-hmm. how many things work, but that isn't everything. And that's not something that I'm excited about. I'm not excited about pretending that we've seen everything. And yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's, I, uh, where do I want to go with that in AI? I don't know. Um, I, don't, I, I don't have the idea right now. I'm hoping that by like taking a break and looking at something else for a while, um, that when I come back, I'll be inspired again. Um, I'm hoping, I don't know, that some little octopuses on the bottom of the seafloor will be able to teach me a new way. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll see. 
I will say you just inspired me to get my advanced open water paddy diving certificate so that I can be said scuba diver. I just did my dive today. It was wonderful. I'm not going to be able to discover these new creatures at regular open level. I need I need advanced. I need night dives. So like divers listening, like we got to contribute to this new model. So please. <laughs> please. Yeah. I mean, hit me up. If you're a diver and you got footage and you want to do fun things, reach out. I don't know. It's hard, to, it's hard to say who you are as a person sometimes, right? I think that it's a scary thing to like say who you are and what you believe. But I'm finding out in myself that I, I believe that I want to find new things. I want to experience new things. And I think that that's so important and makes me feel better inside. I don't know if it makes me more valuable to other people in the world, but that's not what I'm concentrating on right now. So I love that. And to bring it back to your book, while you were talking just now about the commoditization of AI and how we almost kind of like stopped being curious about it because we got so distracted about how much money it could make. And that sort of makes the jobs for people like you suck because they're less creative and less interesting and less open-ended and less curiosity focused. It made me think of the book you're writing and another industry where that happened. Like if I think back to two years ago or even more crap, like if I think back to like 2015, I was having these like late night 2 a.m. conversations with friends about like the future of decentralization and how we were going to like put everything on the blockchain and it was going to be this whole new way of thinking about the world. And even just a couple of years ago, Jean-Vive, like you were working on an NFT project at Visco that was like pretty cool and interesting. And we were thinking about like new ways for artists to engage with this format. And not to like, you know, over dramatize, there's definitely still cool projects happening. And there's definitely still a lot of curiosity. But like, the loudest conversation is like, crypto bros, which are basically like the new version of finance bros. And people are just using crypto to make money. They're like using it to invest and trade. And that's where we stopped. We were like, oh, okay, cool. We understand how this mark works. We understand like what a financial market is. We know how to trade stocks. We're going to just trade this other asset. And that's cool. We can make money with it that way. Good. Great. Check. And, <laughs> and like investors were a huge part of fueling that by like rushing to fund all these companies. And here we are. And I wonder how much of that in your book is related to what you're feeling in your field of AI, because it seems like a very similar thing. Yeah, you know, a lot of takeaways from AI are definitely making, there's so many, like it's similar time in history, but also there's there's a lot of similar things I think happening. And I just found it so hard to like directly criticize where I was coming from or like people I had worked mm-hmm. with. Um, it, it was just like hard even psychologically for me to like criticize them. So I kind of, I'm cheating. I'm criticizing the people who are very similar, but not the same. <laughs> and, um, but I, yes, yeah, something that I, I, I think is going to make me sound like a doomsday person. Um, but who knows, maybe this is my Nassim Talib moment. I'll say something and I don't know, 10 years later, they'll be like, oh, she said it. That's right. That, uh, why did FTX melt down? It melted down because people were bad at bookkeeping and they were happy to like put money in their own bank accounts and then forget that they had taken it out of their company. I sometimes they think about this, like, and could you ever imagine, could you ever imagine like cashing an investor's check into your own bank account, like buying yourself an apartment? Done. Oh no. And now, like, now the company is bankrupt. Oops. 
I went on vacation and bought a house and now I don't Let have me just call Lou about also. reconciling those QuickBooks for that month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's do that. Let's uh, and, and then, you know, you happen to, you go to Singapore, you buy a house with, with what your startup investor, with, with your safe money. And um, then you renounce your U.S. citizenship and ta-da, success. And then you ask for another investor. You're like, well, that one failed. But you know what? I knew things about companying. Somebody else invested in me and they'll be like, well, sure. Um, your, your name that we know about, so we'll invest in you again so you can steal it again. Like, it's not, it's not clever how these things happen. It's people call it a Ponzi scheme and all these other things. And it's just literally like, they just took everybody's money and put it in a different bank account and then called that bank account their own bank account. They just took deposits from all the, well, whatever. So my book, hopefully will have fun things like this. That was the other thing I was kind of inspired to read this thing because it's so complicated to realize how stupid it is. And that is really true of AI all the time. That mm-hmm. like, it's complicated. It's so easy to sound like a dangerous professional with, oh, I'm going to use a transformer to do, you know, transfer learning on this unknown domain. And I'm going to fine tune all of the information of whatever, like, and then I'm going to do this thing. And that sounds intimidating, but when it's nonsense, it's impossible to know that it's nonsense. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing that, that I kind of wonder about is like crashes of things, right? When things sound sexy and exciting and entirely because they're sexy and exciting, they get an enormous amount of investment or, you know, in a, in a large factor, they're getting it for this reason. That means that people are going to be blind to the ways in which it falls apart. So if FTX stole tons of people's money through possibly unintentional idiocy or intentional idiocy, what does that mean about AI companies? What What's the AI fuck up? I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast. You totally uh, can. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, what's what's going to be the big mistake? And, you know, the most obvious one that I think is happening, it's use in um, policing and medicine yep. that's... Yeah. Like yep. minority report stuff. Yeah. In general, everyone who was not able to participate in making these models was not, you know, why, why did LLMs work? That part. Yeah. I, I said a little while ago that the reason we have LLMs is because a French speaker realized that the translations were weird. That's happening all over in every like segregated group and every possible like different perspective. I mean, like on an extreme level that happens to every individual person, all of us have unique perspectives on the world and AI is not going to get our unique perspective, but in our larger groups that's happening. And so anyone who didn't, anyone who didn't participate in making the AI, bad things are going to happen to them and they're going to happen in a bad way on a scale that is not measurable because those things haven't been automated before. So I'm so sorry. No, it's just, um, it's got super emotional. I think I remember like building my company and just like being really excited when we like closed a venture fund. Cause I thought, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I got, you know, cap- real capital to like build something quite frankly for black people and like to, to connect us like all over the world and to try to like some way create a leap forward versus these like small little things like just and I think what's been what you spoke about like the people who are going to be impacted and like not having a say or or like even access to participate in what this looks like it was just so loud to me because I feel like these groups are already there like I'm so choked up I'm like like let me take a beat and like organize my thoughts but I think what choked me up was just like that's literally been the story, the whole wide world. Like, I'm not an anti-capitalist. I'm decidedly an optimist. 
when people talk about AI, even in my friend circles, and it's like negative and scary, I try so hard to be the person that's like, hey, we just need to learn about it. Hey, we just need to. But the reality is like, we've been doing that from behind forever, like just forever. Oh, if we also build tech companies and get somebody to fund us. And this is just like my small sliver of a group, my one group. If we just, if we just, we've just been trying so hard to catch up, to be on a level playing field and to just see this technology now exploding and the millions and millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars being poured into it and knowing that 90% of the world is not represented in these conversations and decisions that are going to affect everyone and all the people that are just trying to have agency in their lives are continuing to be stripped by it in small rooms of white men who don't give a shit. And it's just, this is actually the scary part of AI to me. It's not that creatives won't create because they always will. It's not that people won't figure out ways, but it is the scale at which the world can be changed by this and just the full lack of representation from people who are still coming from behind. And it, it just, it, it's like, this is not a diversity conversation. This is like a, at what point are we going to want a world that is fueled by all of us? You know, I, I don't know. I'm just like rambling, but I just, you mentioning, and I didn't know this moment with the French scientists is kind of how we got to this breakthrough LLM moment. And it is such a specific way of like, Having everybody in the room is actually what can have an outsized effect on innovation in a positive way. Like we will have more innovation. We will have more breakthroughs. Like we'll have more and more. It's, it's never less. It's literally never less. It's never less. So if you have this one moment that created this breakthrough in LLMs that everybody, like what, what does that look like at scale? And why aren't we funding that? Why aren't we making sure more of that is happening? Instead of saying, oh, this little bit will take. And, and this is like kind of what we've done since the age of time. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I really. Yeah, well, um, so I'm glad yeah. that it means so much. I mean, I'm sorry to cause you distress in the conversation, but I am glad that it means something to you and that you feel it and that you take it seriously. And I, I don't want to sound scary, but I think the scale of discrimination is incomparable and that it's going to happen and that we're we're going to look back in 40 years and the way that we look back at, at redlining, the way that we look back at all kinds of institutional racism, that that is going to be so small compared to what's going to happen. Mm. And that's, I, I'm, I'm not a, like a great rhetorical speaker, so I'm, I don't know how to, I don't want to terrify you. I'm, I'm an optimist too, but I think that it's going to be worse than that because now it's in hiring. It's going to be in loan applications, every decision. I mean, the, the OpenAI API and Microsoft API and Google APIs, they're going to get better and more usable and more integratable into engineering pipelines in the years to come. And that means that all of these services are going to integrate it. There's going to be nobody in government review services. There's no FDA for models. I think that it's a crime. Yeah. What's the word negligent on the part of our government that there isn't like an FDA for AI right now? But 
it's going to become such an easy, ingrained part of this that any company that wants to hire, anyone who wants to make a loan, anyone who wants to make a decision about anyone is going to consult an AI that has baked in terrible institutional biases. Yeah. And they're going to make it worse happening. because they're going to... Yeah. So I think that that's... Um, and that also like doesn't really make me want to work for these companies. Like I don't know how to fix it. Like I don't know how to make it better. I don't know how to who to yell at. Like I I don't have a big platform. Um, and and people who have a bigger platform than me do say things like this. But I I don't think that people are scared of it enough. And maybe because it's it's hard to understand how it works that people aren't scared of yeah. it enough. Yeah. 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 And and then at the same time, the, the other thing that you said, Sheree, about how it always is better when you have more people involved. I don't know how people don't want a huge part of our national budget to go to research. Why Why doesn't every single person in the country who wants to make any kind of project even talk about it? Why don't they get 10 grand from the government to do whatever they want? Everybody should be able to do this and get involved in it. And I think that the people with the most money, um, which is companies, large companies, and the government should be involved in supporting this because it'll only be good. It'll only ever be positive. It'll never be wasted. It'll only ever make us better as, as a country and a society and as an economy. So it's a lot. Sorry. Yeah, I kind of, Normally we yeah. do a record okay. scratch moment at the end of the podcast about something that's like, oh, this, was it. this is happening. But like that, that was it. This was it. You know, when you were talking earlier about your book and we were chatting about crypto and then that went into this like, oh, here's the dark thing about AI. Back when we were there in the conversation, I was sitting here thinking, wow, your book sounds like it could be like a movie script for like the next next like big short of our generate well i guess that was also in our generation the housing crisis but like you know like of of the of this time of this time right now right and um it was like oh you know nobody was really looking super hard and the government wasn't regulating and the banks were like oh this could work maybe we can do this with these subprime loans and like before you know it like economic collapse right um, <laughs> and and uh and then listening to you talk about what we might be walking into with AI, it has me wondering if a lot of the conversation that is is happening, and rightly so, might just be like the wrong conversation because creative people will still continue to create and these other things will still happen. And yes, you know, some jobs will go away, but new ones will be made and blah, blah, blah. If that's all just like a massive distraction technique for the real situation and the real problem at hand, which is the lack of diverse voices that have created this technology that is now going to run our lives. Yeah, I mean, I think that you said it so well. I think that that's such a great point, that that's the problem at the root of it, and there's no getting around it. And that because people don't want to change that fact, they don't want to change the fact of that situation, that they're like, oh, well, let's talk about these other complicated things and yeah. this other way to get around it. And that in, and, in writing this book, I really, I love the big short, and I did want to write the big short. And something that's strange <laughs> is that when the big short happened, big short. <laughs> a lot of, I did, I really, I really loved it. And I definitely want to write a book like that. And I am not, who knows if I'm, I'm in that direction, but that, um, you know, when the housing crisis happened, when that recession happened, it hurt so many people. And exactly, people thought about it for a while. I don't know if the lessons learned in that crisis like continue to be learned. Silicon Valley Bank collapse, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that that, that has been, you know, that people really learned that lesson. But it seemed like people paid attention when crypto collapsed last year. 
it was like, oh, everyone always thought that they were a bunch of wackos. So who cares that it messed up? And I feel like nobody's talking about that a lot of money got stolen. Like they're not sympathetic. The people who, who were crypto traders, they're not yeah. sympathetic. Who cares about some guy in his basement who like blew his retirement savings? He's not a sympathetic person. So we don't care. So we don't really talk about how it happened or how it was allowed to continue. How was it allowed to get yeah. to that? And it's it's yeah. like those people are not any different than the people in the big short who got like totally screwed over on their mortgages by Wall Street and the banks. And like, this is just a person trying to figure out how to live their lives and do a thing with money. And whether you invested it into Bitcoin or, you know, you were part of what happened in 2008 and you bought a house, like net is the same, like someone out there, some average person, many of them lost a lot of money and they're just not part of the conversation because they're not in a position of power. And I think that now that if like, I almost want something terrible to happen because of AI, because it will make people pay attention. But I think that no one, that AI is even more in the background. The people involved are even less like part of the public consciousness. It's not even that they're unsympathetic. It's that nobody knows who they are or what they do. You know, who's going to cry for the guy who didn't get a job because AI thought that he was too black. He played basketball too much. I don't know if you guys have heard this thing that like Elon, well, Elon Musk when he was running PayPal uh, didn't want to hire women or people who played basketball. And I mentioned that to somebody once and I was like, it was so racist. And they were like, no, he just didn't want to hire people who played basketball. And I'm like, you know what that means, right? If the hiring says don't hire anyone who plays basketball, you know what that means. Even when people try so hard to avoid it, the models are so big and they're trained on so many things that that's going to get in there. And if you don't have people who are like personally hurt by those things, trying to fix them, they're never going to be fixed. I feel like the way that AI is going to mess up is it's going to screw people over in ways that you don't even notice. It's going to like change the direction of our lives. But you don't have to, I mean, kind of in a, in a way that like bringing it back to like something that I thought was so positive in my life lately, that, that we don't have to know about AI. We don't have to know about crypto to make a lot of these things better. It's really about being a better person, like two other people by finding a, a community of women writers. I'm like finding a great, you know, supportive situation and I'm, I'm finding something that I love to do. And by thinking about each other, like individually, what would make this company better? What would make any company better? What would make any research group better? Just like being a decent person is going to make our technology better. I hope. I hope so too. We're in such a exciting time in our world in many ways. I think the it sounds so fluffy, but I think the opportunity to inject humanity is like like the whole time you were talking about well, maybe like VCs should have like some subset of funding for AI to go towards like these larger projects. Like my brain was just like what are the things that can happen? And I'm sure there are people spending like a ton of time on this even now, but I just think even awareness and I'm just so thankful for so much that you shared today, but I haven't felt that like jazzed up kind of like feeling in a while. And um, all of us don't have to have the answer to how to solve the thing, but we can do one thing with one person or in our little bubble that we influence. And I definitely feel like leaving this conversation with you I'm definitely thinking about what's my one little thing? What's my one little thing I can do? Because we have to. We have to. For so many reasons. And to your point, AI is so intelligent, as in the name. Mm -hmm. There are things that we can't even think of right now. And that's like all the more reason. So I just thank you. Like this is, I've learned so much. 
so much from this conversation and from your journey. And well, thank you so much for for taking taking the journey of this podcast with me. I really we went to a lot of places, and and yeah, thanks. Oh no, thank you, thank you so much for being here and for truly for educating and also for helping us feel and process and say what an incredible way you have of explaining such incredibly complex concepts in really simple human terms that resonate like both here in my head but like here in my heart and it's such a unbelievable gift and like please never stop doing that i think everybody who's been listening today just got so much out of this thank you thank you for being here this was this was a great show this is what we do on it just got real man i am still i don't even know if it's shook i have all the feels from this episode um, at a macro level, at a very deeply personal level. My brain is like a hundred thousand trillion, but I think Jean-Vierre was just such an incredible, incredible, incredible guest. And I know y'all listening probably felt that and I hope learned something and are taking something back. If you want to find Jean-Vierre on the interwebs, which I definitely think you should, um, you can find her on her website. It's Jen p.github.io and you can find her on Instagram at jeanvieve.m.p and on Twitter and we're we're doing Twitter here on this show it is at jeanvievemp so no dots definitely someone you want to follow and check out if this show resonated with you this episode resonated with you definitely share at got real pod and on all of your socials, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, like on your streaming platforms, share the episode. Would love your feedback. We talked a lot, a lot of stuff today, maybe some controversial hot takes open to what you have to say and what you're thinking about and where you think this whole AI thing is going and what you think we need to be paying attention to. I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about this on the pod and would love to bring you all into the conversation. Thanks for listening.